Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the revenge of Absalom as we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 22. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Amnon was really sort of allowed to go without being punished. Except Absalom, the brother of Tamar, hated Amnon for this and waited his day. And two years later, he said to David, I want to throw a big party. I want all my brothers to come. David said, oh, you know, why do you want to do that? I want the whole family. David said, I'm too busy. I don't want to come. He said, well, if you don't come, then let Amnon come. He said, why do you want Amnon to come? Oh, I said, I, and he just was insisting. And so Amnon came to the party that Absalom threw. And Absalom said to his servants, kill him. Thrust him through. And so the servants of Absalom took Amnon and they killed him. And Absalom fled to his grandfather. He fled to the city of the Gezerites. And if you will remember, David had made one of his incursions against the Gezerites, and he took the daughter of the king as his wife, and she bore Absalom. So actually, Absalom was heading as sort of a Bedouin type of a tribe, and he was heading to his grandfather's house on the other side to live with his grandfather and and there be more or less protected from David's vengeance. And so Absalom fled to Gesher in verse 37, 38, 39. And he was there for three years to Talmi, who was his, or Talmai, who was his mother's father, his grandfather. Now David longed to see Absalom. That's really now that Amnon is dead. He can't do anything for him. And he longs to see Absalom. And so Joab, realizing that David is proud and stubborn and really wants to see his son but won't make the first move, got hold of a widow woman in Tekoa. And he said to her, now you go and tell David this story. Tell tell him that you had two sons, and they got in a fight. You're a widow. And your two sons got in a fight, and they were out in the field, and there was no one around to separate them, and one of your sons hit the other and killed him. Now the rest of the family is wanting to put your one son to death. But if he dies, then you don't have anybody. There's no descendants. There's no one to carry on the family name. And and it's just the end. And, And so tell them that they are not to take revenge against my one son. So this woman came to David and she told the story. My two boys, you know, they were out in the field fighting and 
and they were really going at it, no one to separate them, and the one killed the other, and now the avengers of blood are trying to kill the one son. But if he's gone, I won't have anybody. I'll be left, and so forth. And, and David said, uh, you know, your son will be pardoned. He's forgiven and all. And, and so she said to him, well, why should it be to me and not to my master's house? And, and she brought to fact, the fact to David that much the same thing had happened if, if he would forgive her son and the avengers of blood because of the murder, then why wouldn't he forgive his own son and bring him back? And David realized he'd been caught up in the same kind of a thing that Nathan had caught him in, you know, tell a story and get a judgment. And David's, David's quite a guy. He sticks by his judgment. And uh, so he said, one thing, though, before you go, I want to ask you this, and I want you to tell me straight. Is Joab behind this? And she said, oh, surely, you know, you have the knowledge of an angel. No one can hide anything from you. Yeah, Joab's behind it. And so Joab sent for Absalom to come back. But David refused to see him. He can go back to his house, but David still, this pride thing and all, though he still wanted to. And isn't it stupid, this pride of ours? Sometimes the thing we really want to do, we won't do because, you know, you know, we, we just, you know, we want to stop the fight. We don't want to go on. But I'm not going to say I'm sorry first. She's got to say it before I'm going to say it. And I really am miserable. And I really don't like this going on. And I really want it to be all over. But I'm not going to say it first. No way. You know, she's got to come to me. And we do these stupid things because of our stupid pride. And we allow things to go on and simmer. We allow things to go on in, in, in turmoil and all just because of our own stupid pride. So Absalom isn't the kind that you can just ignore. And he wanted Joab to come over and, and to set up a meeting with his dad, but Joab wouldn't even come to see him. He sent several messages to Joab to come, and Joab refused to come. And so he said to his servants, well, his barley fields are getting pretty dry. Go over and set them on fire. And so his servants set, on, set Joab's fields on fire, and Joab came storming over. What's the big idea, your servant's burning my fields? He said, well, I wanted to see you, and I called you several times, and you never would answer, you know, so <laughs> here you are. <laughs> and so he told Joab, I want you to make arrangements for me to see my father. And so Joab came, made the arrangements, and David saw Absalom. There was the forgiveness, the weeping, the rekindling of love and so forth, except that Absalom began at that point to conspire against his own father. Now Absalom went out to the gate of the city, and when people would come from Israel to bring a matter for judgment, he would say, oh, what a shame that my father wouldn't appoint me a judge in Israel because I could judge in these matters. And you know, you come to see my dad, he's so busy. He, has, he hasn't got time to see anybody. But bring the matter to me. Let me, let me judge it for you. And, and the people would, you know, start to bow to him and he'd take them by the hand and he'd kiss their hands. And, and he, was, he was a shrewd politician, you know, kissing the babies and, and just, uh, you know, 
saying the things that the people wanted to hear and, oh, what a shame that, you know, I wasn't uh, placed in a position where I could really help you. Oh, I could do so much for you if I were just in this position. It's a shame my dad is so busy. He really doesn't have time for people, you know, busy running things and, oh, what we could do for you and all of this, you know. And he began to steal the hearts of the people. Those that would come to Jerusalem, he began to steal their hearts. And when he felt that he was in a strong enough position, he headed for Hebron with some of the key leaders and he announced his kingdom there in Hebron. And when the kingdom was announced, then Israel began to gather unto Absalom. And some of David's counselors, especially Ahithophel, went with Absalom against David. And this desertion of his friend Ahithophel is expressed by David in the 55th Psalm. Let's turn to Psalm 55 and, and read of David's feelings over the desertion of Ahithophel who went with Absalom. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they have cast iniquity upon me and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pain within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about upon the walls thereof, mischief also and sorrow in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not, and here is his lament about Ahithophel, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. And then David's prayer of vengeance upon them for their deceit and treachery. And so the desertion from David of some of his chief men. And yet there were those who remained true, but it, word came that Absalom was coming from Hebron with an army. Now David, as I told you, his spirit is gone. Rather than defending himself, rather than setting up his troops and all to defend him from Absalom and from the army that's coming with Absalom, David's spirit is gone. He makes no attempt to defend the city, to defend himself. But David begins 
an exodus from the city with his faithful followers. And they start up over the Mount of Olives toward the wilderness. And as they start up, David is weeping as he walks through the Kidron stream and up the Mount of Olives. He has his head covered and he's weeping. And all of those that are going with him, their heads are covered. They too are weeping. What a sad and pitiful sight. David not even making a fight. David not standing up. This great valiant man not standing up but fleeing. And Absalom, his son, will arrive at Jerusalem and find there are no defenses at all against him. And they told David, Ahithophel is among them. And David said, Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And when David came to the top of the Mount of Olives, he worshiped God. And behold, Hushai, who was also one of David's counselors, an older man, came to meet him. And David said, hey, look, go on home. You know, go on back to Jerusalem and maybe you can sort of subvert the counsel of Ahithophel. So uh, David began to set up his men also to destroy the purposes of Absalom. And the priest had come with the Ark of the Covenant, and David sent them back. Zadok and Abiathar, he sent them back with the Ark of the Covenant. And committing it really, and it is interesting to me, David at this point was committing his case totally to God. If God wants me to come back, you know, the Lord will bring me back. If the Lord is pleased, to help me, the Lord will help me. But he's not going to defend himself. He's not fighting for himself anymore. He is a broken man. And he is committing his case totally into the hands of God. Because this is really the fulfillment of the prophecy because of his sin. Nathan said, your sons are going to rebel against you. And, and all, and he sees this just as, a, a, as God's judgment, and he's accepting it. He's committing himself totally into God's hands and into this judgment that God has brought upon him. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys that were loaded down with bread and raisins, and summer fruits, a bottle of wine. David said, what do you mean by all these things? And Ziba lied to him. And he said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat. And the wine so that those that are faint in the wilderness may drink. The king said, and where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he abides at Jerusalem. Because he said, today they'll restore the kingdom back to me. In other words, he's, he's lying to David about Mephibosheth, declaring that Mephibosheth was looking to this and, and saying, hey, I'm going to get the kingdom back. That's not true. That's a lie of Ziba. And so David said, well, everything that I gave to Mephibosheth is yours, you know, if we ever get back. Of course, later on, David found out the guy was lying to him. And as he was going along, another relative of Saul, a cousin of sorts, Shimei, the guy's name, and Shimei came out and began to curse David, running along and throwing rocks at David and throwing dirt in the air and cursing him. 
Now Abishai said to David, David, that dirty dog, he has no right doing that. Let me go take his head off. And David said, no, let him go. Maybe God's put it in his heart to curse me. David has no fire. Just, you know, maybe God wants him to curse me. Maybe that's what's in God's heart. David is so broken at this point, realizing that this is the fruit of my sin. And yet there is a beautiful submission to David unto God and unto the will of God and even unto the judgments of God, which is that which made David a man after God's own heart. He was willing to just commit himself now totally to God, to the judgment of God. God, if you want to wipe me out, if you want to destroy me, if you want to curse me, whatever you want to do, God, do what you want to me. And David isn't resisting any longer. His life now is one of total and complete commitment. He was brought to that place of brokenness, which so often is necessary in order that we might enter into that place of complete and total submission unto the will of God. And though it is sort of sad to see the fire gone, yet in another way it's beautiful to see now no more resisting, no more defending himself, but just that total commitment, whatever God wants, let it be. So Absalom came into Jerusalem, and David had left ten of his concubines to keep his palace. And so Ahithophel said to Absalom, Look, put up a tent on the roof of the house, and take the ten concubines in the sight of all the people, and take them into the tent. And there, in a sense, humiliate them. Now, this was showing that a breach was being created between Absalom and David that could not be healed. In other words, the people would feel secure now in following Absalom because they feel, wow, there's no way David could ever forgive this sin. Also, this was a common practice for a king who took over the kingdom from his predecessor one of the acts of taking the kingdom from his predecessor was taking the king's wives, even as David took Saul's wives. Taking of the wives of the predecessor, again, was a part of the succession in the kingdom. And so Absalom was really taking this position of superseding David as king and also creating a breach irreparable between himself and his father. This was the counsel of Ahithophel, and Absalom followed it, and the further part of the prophecy of Nathan was fulfilled as we find the, uh, the wives of David there in the sun before all of the people being publicly humiliated. There was one thing I passed over, and I want to come back to it, in verse 25 of chapter 14, it tells a little bit about Absalom. In all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. He was a very beautiful person outwardly, but he was cunning 
cruel and all inwardly. And then it says that he pulled his hair annually. Because his hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it. And the weight of his hair was about 200 shekels after the king's weight, or every year he grew about three to four pounds of hair. Now, part of their pay was by the pulling of their hair. Uh, they would give them so much, you know, per shekel and so forth for the pulling of their hair. And his weight between three and four pounds annually when they shave his head and weigh it annually, about three to four pounds. But it is interesting, it was his hair that led to his death. He was riding through the woods and his hair got caught on a branch and he was hanging there by his hair when uh, Joab came along and threw the darts through his heart. So, you know, there may be disadvantages, but there can be advantages too. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Samuel on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Samuel 13-16 through 16 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we give thanks unto you for those lessons that can be learned as we study thy word together. Lord, enrich us in the knowledge of thy purposes and thy will, and help us, Lord, to grow in grace and in the understanding of thy truth. Lord, we pray now that thy word will be hid in our hearts and may we be clean washed through the word that you have spoken in Jesus name Amen This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to, like, affect my mom's walk. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking, and are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithe and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? 
The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.